you like haunts? Yes. Do you like immersive theater? Yes. Do you like escape rooms? Yes. What's the safe word? My haunt life. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, Fringe Fest is back again this year. Uh, glory be to the heavens. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to to Anok as well? <laughs> well, okay. Depends um, on who you worship. Uh, anyways, that we started Fringe Fest. Preview week has come and gone, and we saw quite a few shows opening weekend, or preview weekend, I should say. Yes. And the first show that we saw, of course, you know, going back to your glory B, was about a cult. <laughs> yes, it was. And it's called Manson's Girls. I went into this, Mike, not knowing what to expect, because obviously if you think, you know, Charles Manson, the family, that, that doesn't lend itself immediately to let's make a musical of this. Well, <laughs> it kind of does, <laughs> well, <laughs> depending on what you're into. Uh, so uh, I think we both enjoyed this. Yeah, and here's the thing too, uh, and this is pretty much for every Fringe show that I've seen so far, is what you just said, going into it knowing no, li- literally yeah. nothing. Yeah, you know, too. you read the, the description on the website, but that's about it because I didn't, I want I like going in and having something be completely different than I expected it to be based on the description or the name of the show. And that actually happened and it made the show that much better for me. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that show later, but. For Manson's Girls, same thing. I went in and, you know, we love, I, I, no, I'm not, I, take, I don't mean that. <laughs> yes. I don't mean we love Charles Manson, but we love that kind of story, the true crime element, the cult element, the just, it's, you know, it's history. Yes, absolutely. And going into this and knowing it's a musical and knowing it's fringe, it could have gone so many different ways. Right. And I, and I you know, I'm thinking back now, I, I, I think I actually did walk into this with one expectation. I expected it, even though the name of this show is called Manson's Girls, I expected it to be something about his perspective, the the Manson's perspective. Okay. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. This was more of the relationship and the turmoil with the girls of the family and the power struggle between them all. Yeah, and the politics, the jealousy, the betrayals, the it, it, it's or like any family, um, <laughs> well, or like any job. It was like a, it was like watching a corporation. Oh yeah, actually, that's an interesting analogy because it, each person had their own certain responsibilities. Each person had tasks they, that they were supposedly required to do, even though they did have this saying of "What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours." We share everything. That is certainly not the way the relationship seemed to play out. Right. And that was the fascinating thing for me. I really enjoyed this show, mainly because I I walked in and it just surprised me that the concentration was completely on the emotional dynamic between all of these girls who are following this charismatic leader. And I will say, you know, the 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 gentleman, um, and I'm I'm looking for the name really quickly, who played Charles Manson, uh, was named Troy Armand Barboza. Really strong job. He was and, a, he was a great Manson. Yeah, it's it because he he wasn't he didn't play it. The interesting thing I thought about his performance was he was just sort of 
a strong guy. And he didn't try to oversell it. He yes. didn't try to make you believe he was in charge. You just knew like that's how good he was. Yeah, exactly. And and he was the one who made the decisions and he was the one who called the shots. And I also love the fact that each of the girls, the structure of this musical is that each of the women portrayed have their moment where they either have a solo number, they have a, a duet or something that reveals their inner turmoil or their inner desires. And I think universally the cast was strong. The voices were strong. We did see a preview performance. There were a couple of mic issues. I thought that um, uh, I thought it was odd that sometimes the characters would deliberately be mic'd and then sometimes they would walk away from mics. Uh, I thought it was an odd staging choice. And that theater, we have had a problem before. I think it's the theater that they're in. It's just hard to hear sometimes because it's such a big open space. Right. And that was one of the minimal complaints I had about this show yeah, is absolutely. when there, because there's a live, there's live music to accompany it. And a lot of times the songs are done on stage with, without microphones. The microphones are off to the side for the solo numbers. But when people are singing on stage, a lot of times the music drowned out their voice. So you couldn't really hear the lyrics or what they were saying that well. Yeah, it's a minor quibble, but it did affect our show. Uh, I will say really quickly, um, the book was by Scott Gray, music by Ron Barnett, and lyrics by Mitchell Glazer. The reason I wanted to name those guys is, Mike, I thought all of the strong the songs were particularly strong. And if you know musical theater structure, I loved the fact that they used a device of there's a refrain that keeps coming back and getting repeated. And every time it does, it takes on a new meaning. And it's it's the the they open the show with a number about we are strong. Like, this is our strength. Our strength is each other. We are strong. We are growing in strength. And as the show goes on and things get darker and Charles Manson starts to make more and more odd requests and more drastic requests and more risky requests and demands on the people following him, that refrain became creepier and creepier. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that they use that device where it kept coming back and every time you heard it, it meant something different. And this is one of the reasons I love theater because... I've read books about Manson and the Manson murders. I've seen movies, but I haven't really seen theater. And mm -hmm. being there, and even though you know it's an actor saying, okay, tonight we're going on a creepy crawl, to hear that live and in person, it yeah. just, it's so creepy. And it's, it, it just, it, it takes on a, it doesn't take a different meaning, but it takes a different tone, even though it's, what, 50 years ago that it happened almost, like 49 years ago? And the fact that you can have someone portraying Charles Manson say that and have that effect on people, it, it just it shows how creepy Manson was and how good the actor was. Yeah, even though this is a musical, there are definitely sequences that were very, very creepy. And I will say that there are moments of violence that took me by surprise. And that aspect of the relationship of all of the people who are following this man, that... I thought was a really interesting dynamic of having a musical where the threat of violence was so obviously there at any moment. Well, you got to keep the family in line. <sighs> you don't want them My, leaving. <laughs> uh, uh, the, I, I just, I just, I just, I really, really enjoyed this. And I love the fact that 
it did concentrate on the women. And like I said, I love the fact that each of the women had, and, and there are some strong voices in this cast. And again, some of the ballads and the songs that the women have revealing their purpose and their desires, really strong moments. And I, I really enjoy this musical a lot. I know we talked about going into this not really knowing anything, but as the show went on, I did start to expect certain things to happen. For example, when they start plotting the Tate murders and it that pinnacle conversation of having that happen, that was my... The snowball starts rolling down the hill. It does. And for me personally, the expectation was something other than I got. And I think that just left me really unfulfilled. Um, it sounds to me, and I, I actually disagree with you on this. I think the, I think what needs to be told is told. Uh, we're talking about how this musical wraps up and, and how far it goes. It could have gone so much farther. It could have Mm -hmm. gone so much darker than it does. Uh, I think we disagree on the ending of the musical, I think is what you're saying. And we're trying very hard not to be spoilery, obviously. Exactly. Um, I, I think it works as is. But I know you wanted to go farther, didn't you? Of, of course. <laughs> yes. Of course I did. <laughs> so I, I did. I, I got to say, uh, kudos to the cast on this. Uh, this piece wouldn't work if the women's relationships didn't come off the way they do. Right. You see all of the jealousy. You see all the loyalty. You see all the faith, the betrayal, the deceit. And you see all the love and support and helpfulness that they shared. And that's what makes this all work. And that's what makes all of the violence and Manson's purposes and his requests. And you know where it's heading. That's what makes it, I think, also sad. Yeah, because it's gang mentality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, So we're not normally at this point, we would say something about, hey, uh, go look at this website or something. But what we will do is uh, on the website, we will show links to all of the shows that we're talking about. Right. Uh, Hollywoodfringe.org. And you can search for the shows or uh, just click the links in the show notes. So after Manson's Girls, we took a a walk that you barely survived. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long walk, though. It was not. It was only a mile. So I have an injured foot, dude. (laughs) Long story. We won't get into that. (laughs) And we went to a show called The Witnessing. And The Witnessing was on my radar early on based on the subject matter. You are going to a paranormal lecture. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that Russell and I are both into the paranormal. We go on ghost hunts and things like that. When I lived in Massachusetts, I would go to paranormal lectures um, and... I was really excited to see what would happen. Right. And when you walk in, Mike, the entire room is set up like a college lecture hall. And you have a table where props are. You have the projector. They're not props. They're examples and artifacts. All right. Examples and artifacts on a table in the corner. Uh, When you first come in, uh, you are... Actually, you know, that's a little spoiler. I'm not going to say what the first thing that happens is. Um, So... When you finally get into the lecture hall area and you're able to explore, you're able to look around, there are photos on display and all of the things that you are looking at tie into the lecture. And when the lecture begins, Mike, I love the fact that they actually play this show off 
as a lecture. Yes, and that's what makes it work so well. And nothing breaks that. And and they <laughs> and typical of any lecture in in college, there's always a tech problem. They had a tech problem that was just like yeah, it just it unfolds so naturally. And the thing that I loved about the show, Mike, uh, is the uh, two actors. There, uh, it's a two man cast, and the two actors who are. Uh, delivering this lecture, uh, Jason Field is sort of the investigator, and Galen Howard is his assistant. I love the fact that this show plays out, and you never get exposition about these guys' past. You never get this is how we met. You never get this is our history. What you get is their entire relationship is revealed literally through a throat clear, a chuckle. Uh, a passive aggressive remark and you get everything you need to know about these guys simply because of the of who they are sounds like a certain podcast <laughs> you're the passive aggressive one aren't you <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> so i i just love that i thought it was a really nice touch that it, it's like they never feel the obligation to you know turn it into a play and a story that even though yes it is but they never turn it into something traditional it's it they completely never break the illusion that you're attending this lecture and that's what i really liked about it and this goes back to the show we saw last year um the secrets of the victorian charlatans yes, yes. and the reason i love that show so much is because it took a different take on on theater and it was educational it was a lecture and this to me was the same exact thing not the same exact thing but the same type of format where you're going in and you're learning and they're teaching you and granted what they are teaching you may make you feel dumb, but they're <laughs> still teaching you. And I, I'm not going to go into, into all of that because that's a spoiler and just go into it with an open mind and think about things and there's logical reasons for everything. And I do love the fact that near the end of the show, they challenge how open your mind is. Mm hmm. That's a really, really nice touch to this show is it does make you think and in a way that you don't see coming, I think. I, I, that was a very, very pleasant surprise when they got to that area of the show. And I know I sound like a broken record sometimes and every year at Fringe or every show we go to, I always make the comment, as soon as I st stop believing or stop thinking I'm at a play or at a show and it becomes real, that's how good the show is. And for this, it wasn't a show. It was real for me. I forgot I was in L.A. at, at Fringe Fest. I mm -hmm. forgot I, it was, you know, where I, where I was. And because I was so enthralled in the evidence they were showing, because they do show you evidence, they show you clips and phone calls and recordings and video. And because I, like, I'm into that, and even if I wasn't, it's such an interesting topic that you can't help but to just pay attention. Like you will not be bored at this show at all. Yeah. And the sound and the visual stuff. And that's all I'm going to say that they utilize is very, very effective. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, definitely go check out the witnessing. Um, and that ended our Thursday night. Yes. We started out easy with only two shows in one night. Yeah. And, one of them was about Charles Manson. The other was about ghosts. So how'd you sleep that night? <laughs> so I haven't been sleeping well, but I, I, I'm attributing it to exhaustion. 
So, so Friday night, uh, we met up and actually the first first two shows, I kind of had to one more than the other, but talk you into going to. <laughs> uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> I was curious, but I wasn't. You're curious? I, I guess I was curious. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, well, you you will say I that will say, I will say soon <laughs> that you were glad. Yes, I was very glad I made that journey. No. Earlier, we spoke about how we didn't go in expecting things or looking too much into it, or reading into what the show is about. And I said, I'll mention a show later. This is that show for me. And Sam Shaber, Life, Death and Duran Duran. I was instantly into just based on the Duran Duran reference, because who doesn't want to travel to Rio? Like who never, who doesn't get hungry like the wolf? And who doesn't want to dance in the sand? Exactly. See, you get it. <laughs> I get it. And what I thought the show would be about is a woman telling stories about her fandom of Duran Duran. And while that happens, that is such a tiny, tiny part of this show. And because of that, everything else was so much more impactful that it blew me away. I can honestly say that this one woman show is going to end up being one of my favorite shows of the entire Fringe Festival. Agreed. Same Just with hands me. Hands down. It's like, it's like, I know what happened on the second night. I, I know what happened during preview weekend, but you know, you go in this. Okay. First of all, <laughs> one person shows are hit and miss. Like I have been to a few one person showcases in this town over the years that have been hell to sit through and so i always approach them with like you know what hey it's an adventure whatever happens happens it'll be fine it's only an hour i wish i could spend an entire night talking to this woman yeah her life is incredible it's fascinating she has had ups and she has had downs and you know she talks about a tour and i don't want to reveal the name of the tour but the the optimism that this woman greets obviously every day is infectious and it is touching and it is endearing and let's not gloss over the fact that she is obviously a damn talented singer songwriter mhm and i uh, i just i absolutely loved every song i loved the stories and i she has also a great knack of storytelling um this, I highly recommend the show. I have recommended this show already to numerous people. I have too. And you mentioned the storytelling. And I think as soon as we were walking to the next show after this show, and I said, this show had me so captivated. Nothing has, nothing has left me this interested since a regular little Houdini, because that show, that was also a one man show where he just tells stories and, and does a little bit of magic here, Sam Shaber tells stories and then sings and plays guitar, and you you were glued on every single word. And you, you know, Russell, you always talk about emotions, and oh, you know, like <laughs> every every thing, every story that she tells, every song that she sings, it's just it hits you so hard, yeah, like in the gut. And it's not it's not just you don't just feel that because of the situation you feel it for her you feel it for everyone that was that was involved in said story and you can even relate at points yeah this is not just the story of the the struggles of an up-and-coming rock musician 
it's not just that. There's so much more life observation. There's so much more, to some degrees, philosophy. And I don't mean that in a lecture or academic manner. Just like I said earlier, the optimism that is present in this show in the face of adversity, uh, this is truly an inspiring hour. And I highly recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I can't think of the words to even describe how much I feel about this show. Yeah. I tried and I came off sounding like a goofball, but you know, <laughs> hence podcasting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sam Shaber, Life, Death and Duran Duran. If you can get a ticket to this show. And going back to my original point about being interested because of the Duran Duran, there are Duran Duran stories. <laughs> so if actually some really fascinating ones. Yeah. Like, the jacket story and is very great. Funny. Yeah, very funny. Well, Mike, after that show, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, I had not gotten a ticket to a particular show that you had gotten a ticket to, and I did have a hole in my schedule. And I said, "Hey, I'll just walk over. I'm kind of curious about that show. I'll just walk over and see if there's a ticket available." You are sounding so much more positive than you did on that <laughs> night. Like, can we do a real reenactment? Like, hey, Russell, let's go see this next show. You like, you love metal, don't you? <laughs> Says Mike in his sarcastic voice. Uh, I guess. Okay. Maybe they'll have a ticket. I'll go if they have a ticket. I have nothing else to do. I have nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in case you couldn't gather people who listen to our, our lovely voices, uh, I'm not a heavy metal fan. <laughs> I am not... <laughs> Uh, I listen to so many different kinds of music. I really do. I enjoy country. I enjoy show tunes. I enjoy pop. Uh, Mike has introduced me to K-pop <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> and even forced you to go to K-Con. I feel like this is this year's K-Con where I like forced you to go, not forced you, oh. but I was like, hey, let's go. Oh, that's right. Uh, you got me to K-Con, uh, which for those of you who don't know, is a K-pop concert of huge names in the K-pop world. Uh, and this show, I, I, okay, first of all, I have been to one punk band concert in my entire life, Mike. And just the fact that you said it just like that, I can tell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not my world, not my people. Who was it? So, uh, it was a, it was a, some local Southern band okay. that I went to. Uh, I wish I, I don't, I don't know who it was, but it was, it was like a local band in Mississippi as I was, uh, in college. Uh, did not enjoy that evening. Um, uh, that was my first uh, time ever witnessing a mosh pit live, which has only happened once or twice in my life, too. Uh, so it was like dancing with punches. Um, <laughs> so, oh, my God. That needs to be the name of a show. That's going to be punches. our fringe show next year. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, yes, there is a show uh, which we were talking about called The People versus Hell Cross. Yes. Hellcross is the name of the band in the show. And it's an actual band. It is an actual band, and it is one hour. It's, it's a one-hour concert, but they very cleverly put it in the frame of a show. Mm-hmm. Inside a courtroom. Inside a courtroom. <laughs> where they allow that because it's Florida. Yes. <laughs> so, Mike, I, look, I enjoyed this. I thought it was very, very funny. Uh, I appreciate the fact as the heavy metal newbie in the room, 
Uh, the fact that they were handing out earplugs or that you could purchase earplugs at the door. If it's too loud, you're too old. Uh, I, it was too loud for me. I used the earplugs. I took them out during the dialogue sequences, uh, which were few. Um, and I, I also want to say, as a newbie to the heavy metal scene, I really appreciate them printing the lyrics in the program. <laughs> <laughs> because I actually, I we had enough time, we got there early enough that I had enough time right before the show to take a few minutes and actually read through the lyrics really quickly. And it did help me a lot because, dude, some of those lyrics are hysterical. Oh, yeah. these The songs are so much fun. So let's set the scene. It's an 80s heavy metal band, a British heavy metal band, and they are now in court. Why, you ask? For those of you that are old enough, you may have remembered in the 80s, Russell, I don't know if because you weren't a... No, no, no. I'm not making fun of your age. Like, <laughs> like it's not that point in the podcast Not yet, yet you aren't. <laughs> um, but like in the 80s, a lot of like the metal bands, like, you know, when Motley Crue first came out and they had Shout Out the Devil mm-hmm. and, you know, it was kind of like part of the satanic panic like yes. thing. And, you know, when any crimes would happen, they would blame the lyrics. Like yes. Judas Priest always got blamed as well. And... So Hellcross is in court because of their lyrics, because one of their fans killed his girlfriend and then killed himself. And the show is the courtroom scene with the prosecution pointing out lyrics like, you know, I want you to kill it yourself or something like that. And mm-hmm. then the defense being like, well, no, you're taking it out of context here. This is about capitalism. Or, well, and which, by the it, way, some of the explanations of the song so good. are so funny. Uh, I got to admit, there was some big laughs in the show. There really are. Yeah. My face hurt from laughing so much. Yeah. And, and the silliness of the premise. Uh, but it, the premise is not silly because that actually happens. Yeah. I, like where, be, bands were being oh, like yeah. charged with stuff like that. Oh, yeah. The silliness of the premise hides the fact that like, this is a serious story. This are, there's a serious... I'm sorry. Let me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> there's a serious point being made in the middle of all this goofiness. And uh, it's it's extremely relevant in in as we say today's social climate. Uh, I th- this show was such a surprise, Mike. I did not expect to like this show as much as I did. Uh, it is funny, and by the way, it is over the top comic. Mm-hmm. It is not subtle. They're going for the belly laugh. They're and there are wonderful moments with each band member. Each band member gets a moment to shine on uh, the stand or, or on testify the, on the stand. Yes, yeah. as 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 they testify uh and as i said like the explanation from their point of view is so funny and so outlandish that it's like those are some of the high highlights and there's also some really clever points made about the prosecutor and their past (laughs) and how because how many times have you seen a public figure 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 how many times have you seen a public figure criticize something only to be caught later being guilty of what they're criticizing? Oh, yeah. Criticizing other people for doing. Uh, it, it's sort of that in reverse. Uh, I really enjoyed this show for the message that it sends. Still not a heavy metal fan, Mike. Sorry. It's okay. I won't take you to MCon. <laughs> but not all songs were metal songs. No, that's true. And when the a non-metal song comes on, 
it's such a change and it takes you by such surprise. Yes. It makes it that much more funny. And if you can, especially for that song, sit in the front row. <laughs> good good advice. Yeah, I think so. So I definitely recommend the People versus Hellcross. Be forewarned, it is loud and it is heavy metal music, but still worth the journey. And... <laughs> We keep saying we we haven't glossed the, like getting to the technical parts of the sh- of the show of mm-hmm. the band like they're actually really good oh, yeah absolutely like, they're they're really good yeah. and the, like because it's a live band playing live instruments in this tiny stage on the at three clubs back room um, but they're good people versus Hellcross definitely check that check out that show yeah I uh, even the guy who doesn't like heavy metal recommends it. And on that same night, we got our first real taste, kind of, sort of, of horror at this year's Fringe Festival. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. This is an interesting piece called The Study, was the next show that we took in. Yeah, and The Study had a lot of buzz around it because it was made by the people that did the video games last year, which, which we loved, where there's a lot of audience participation. And this show uh, does not lack in that either uh, because there is audience participation and it's a choose your own adventure sort of thing. Um, And certain parts during the story, you get to choose on what happens next. Yeah, uh, the audience is utilized in a way that influences the plot of the show. Uh, the preview performance that we saw was very clunky, and unfortunately, it suffered heavily because of really slow and awkward scene transitions. So the pace of the show was a problem. Yeah, it seemed to really drag out. Yeah, it did. It was by I, I could feel the audience getting very restless around me because the show was taking so long. Uh, because look, and it's it's also the nature of the material. Okay, let, let's qualify that a little bit. This is a slasher film plot. Mm -hmm. This is a very cliche slasher film plot that they're unfolding, and you can influence with certain choices that you make as an audience. And we don't need to really go into the methodology of that. That's kind of a fun thing that you'll discover when you go see the show. But because slasher films move at a pretty good clip, that's one of the reasons this show was so hard to take on their preview performance because it was so slow. And slasher films are generally not slow. So that worked against them. So the other thing is because your audience will influence the unfolding of the story, I think there's some bumps in the story itself, which for me kind of didn't pay off really well. Um, What did you think of the characters in this show? There weren't any that you felt for. Yeah. Because they... It's almost like they tried too hard to make them unlikable. Yeah, it's a tough thing. And and this is one of those situations where I think the cast did a very good job with the characters, but the characters themselves are unlikable. Yeah, and that's because of the dialogue. Yeah, it, like the there are uh, the the <laughs> there's a lot of homophobic slurs, there's a lot of women being incredibly cruel to each other in the show. Uh, and people are, people can tell me, oh, well, that's real life. Like people actually say those things. People actually behave that way. 
Yeah, but you're not forced to stay with them and listen exactly. to them. Well, it's one of my problems with modern horror. This, this is actually a trend in modern horror. It's a very common thing for slasher films in the last decade in particular to have at least one or two characters that are so despicable that the studio hopes you cheer when they die because they think that's what the, the audience wants. That's kind of how I felt about this. It was mm-hmm. like, are, are you literally trying to turn me off? But the problem in a situation like this when you're invest trying to invest in a story is if the characters are so despicable, you don't believe them because why would these people go on this trip together? Yeah. They hate each other. That's they a good point. They treat each other like crap. Why would they get in a vehicle together to go anywhere? Mm-hmm. And they take those personas and those attitudes from literally the opening moments of the show. So I found that really hard to deal with. I don't know how it affected you. Yeah, it makes sense. But even to go along with that, you have the audience also being like that. And what I mean is around me, I don't know if you were able to hear it, but whenever there was a decision that had to be made. Like I'm making this up. This wasn't in the show, but if it said like, let him live or let him die, people judged each other based on what they were holding up. Oh, and so the audience was judging each other. Well, why aren't you trying to kill this person? Why are you saving that person? Yeah. Like people, there was people I were, I was watching looking around and just looking disgusted, like, really? Like, like that. And it's just like, dude, chill out show yeah (laughs) and that's not real and that's kind of the other problem that a show like this can run into is people not getting what they want you know we always hear about entitlement and like issues like that if you're going to the show and you want this person to hide or whatever and you don't get your way does that mean the show automatically sucks for you you know what i mean like for me no i know not for you but like (laughs) For, for people that go to this, if they don't get their way, right. is that a negative review? And that's something you have to, you have to pay attention to because right. you're obviously not going to please everyone because no one is going to, there's, I don't think there'll ever be a hundred percent yes or no. No, like, I, I, it, the show isn't structured that way. Uh, and and I, I will say this, I, the concept of this, Mike is really fun. It really is because I loved choose your adventure books growing up. Yeah, exactly. And th- and that's what this is except you know the you're not the adventurer, you're you're determining the path of someone else. And at the end of our show by the way, um the writer I believe came out and he he really quickly cuz they had to clear the house really quickly. Uh he expressed uh so tonight during your performance I think he said there were nine characters total and eight of them lived, if I remember no, correctly. No, eight of them died. Uh, pardon, I'm Only sorry, you're right. Eight lived. of them died. Which but... which is pretty awesome. And I hope <laughs> there's a way to get all of them to die. So, uh, yes, there is, I'm sure. And he said that, you know, there are there are scenarios where all the entire cast could live mm-hmm. or the entire cast could die. Which, but... before you go on, sorry, this is a challenge to anybody else that goes to this show. See if you can beat our record of one survivor. <laughs> And please let us know. Yeah. So now I will say this again. I want to compliment this cast. Now, something that happened in the video games last year from the same company, the fight choreographer, uh, excuse me, the fight choreography in this show was so much fun here. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there was some really go for the gusto. You know, I, uh, the cast was really, I think having a good time and 
I said that it's hard to care for these people because they're so despicable, but I will say that there are moments where this cast got me to care, to sympathize, to laugh. And particularly at the very end of our show, there's a situation where the two most sympathetic characters wound up in a scene together. And it was pretty touching to see those two characters realize that their entire world has been destroyed. So the, the the cast is really working hard to to take this format, which I I gotta compliment these guys. This is a fun concept. We saw a really rough show because it was a preview performance, but this is a fun concept. Uh, you will meet cliches. The characters are a little too cliche for my taste and too little mean spirited for my taste. But here's the question, Mike: If we had made different choices as an audience. Would we have gotten more backstory about some of the characters that would have made them more sympathetic? See, if that's an actual question to me and not rhetorical, I would not think so. And here's why. Because if if the choice is to here like the cho- one of the choice was to like ambush or warn, you're not gonna get backstory from that. You're not gonna be like right. wait, 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 wait. When I was growing up, my dad <laughs> You know, it's going to be based on the story and surviving. And a slasher film always has to move forward until you pause and then, you know, give some dramatic monologue. Just like improv. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I will say this, uh, and I want to ask you about this. There was one scene that, uh, the reason I brought up that backstory idea is there's one scene where you meet the killer. And I thought that scene was so much darker in tone and so much more leaning toward violence than much of the rest of the show. Some of the show is almost campy. They don't they don't play it as camp, but it it, it hinges on that borderline. And I think it it does. It kind of rides that edge really well. It goes from slasher picture. It goes from slasher to torture porn, basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, you just said that so much better than I was thinking it in my head. I always say torture porn better than you. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that that was a surprising turn. And the reason I, I, it it really took me out of the show. And there was someone sitting near me who during that sequence got incredibly uncomfortable. And I think they had been enjoying the show up to that point. That turn into really dark, violent territory, or I'm going to actually say grim territory, took them by surprise. I, I was very aware of the person sitting next to me that that, that happened to. Um, See, and, but, but for me, I liked it because the person on the receiving end was, it was just like, oh, thank God. Like, yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you were happy that they were going to take care of that character. Yeah, like I would rather it be the another character, but still. Yeah. The reason I asked the backstory thing is I thought the killers were even more one-dimensional and shallow than most slasher movies. And I wondered if we had made a different choice as an audience, if we had learned, if we would have learned more about the killer that would have justified that sequence a little bit more. And that, that kind of would be a cool, maybe sequel where it's the same, (laughs) where it's the same show, except we make the decisions for the killer. Oh, that's interesting. Or maybe that will be our friend show next year. I well well listen. I, Dancing with fists or whatever we said. Dancing with punches. Dancing with punches. So uh, coming soon. Uh, the 
I still want to stress that this is a fun concept. We're, we're, we're kind of like criticizing this a lot, but it this is ambitious and it's a fun concept and it does work for a goofy experiment. And if you like horror, I think you will really enjoy this because you're familiar with the characters, you're familiar with the cliches, and it becomes like, how will this person get their comeuppance if the audience decides to do something? So I think there's a lot to offer here for horror fans. I really do. Yeah. And I think with with more shows, the technical glitches will be resolved and the show will be a lot smoother. Like, like we said, we saw it on preview night. So a smoother show would help this feel better than what we saw. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and again, I really like the interactive concept that is presented here. One last little note. There's a questionnaire before the show, Mike. And I found it funny that on that questionnaire, I don't know if you noticed or not, but they they ask you about which would like which would make you more anxious, which would more you know scare you more. Did you notice that they listed one of my absolute fears? Oh yeah. Did you did notice that? Uh, come on. Of course. <laughs> like they they like nailed it like literally word for word like this is the most horrified you could ever make Russell is on that question. Oh yeah, I mean, I plan on using that when I do the one person haunt for oh, you one you one sometime. <laughs> like no, seriously. Like I know we always talk about doing shows, but I had an idea for a show and it would be your most terrifying show ever. And that there would be no violence. Well, there's some <laughs> violence, but like but be just because I know that about you. Yeah. And you can too. Email me at mike at myhauntlife.com. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't reveal it to anybody send a so. self-addressed stamped envelope to but for those of you who go see that show i will say that somewhere on that form is one of my deepest fears all right so then that ended that night <laughs> wow <laughs> how, did, how did you make this about me come on <laughs> because you made it about you i know with your I'm deepest g- I get fear to blame you though so okay. uh, all right so after the study mike the we, we went home we went home okay <laughs> Not together, but... So, so, uh, the next day was Saturday, and I actually was able to catch a couple of things um, before you started hitting Fringe shows. And one of the shows that is listed in this year's Fringe show is a show called The Dangerous Cures of Dr. B. The reason I was drawn to this show is because in the description, it talks about um, a charismatic charlatan character in the early days of radio, and... He became very popular by spreading a word of hope, faith, and in the name of God, he was doing healings, and he got quite a following. Uh, His name was uh, Dr. Brinkley, and this was based on a real person. Um, the, The show takes a very... It's almost impossible to describe how experimental the format of this show is. You get on air sequences of the radio broadcasts you see personal meetings with a doctor where he's consulting potential patients and this show is a mixed bag but i really really think that this is a truly ambitious company and they're trying something really really unique here so by telling the story of a young couple who comes to this person on the radio this personality because they cannot have children and they want this problem solved. That's the basic 
plot that this piece starts with. And through various forms, like there's a, there's a odd dance sequence, there is odd choreography at various times during the show, there's a musical duo, which is actually quite funny and quite charming, that are sort of like the musical entertainment on the radio program, and the preacher Dr. B's wife is the main person who interacts with the potential patients. And as the story unfolds, what you see, Mike, is you see how people in desperate need or want will place faith in something blindly or with very little information. So this actually starts to turn into a really odd tale, a cautionary tale, and a creepy tale. Because as it unfolds, more and more people start giving this person attention as he's doing these healings. And I, I don't want to go into the methods, but let's say his methods are extremely experimental. Uh, and the American Medical Association got wind of some of what he was doing to people. And they started investigating him. Uh, during the course of the show, you find out that there's also people, doctors, uh, people in the medical profession who actually felt that he might be onto something and just because it's experimental doesn't mean it's wrong. So as oddball as this piece is and as stylized as some of the sequences are, what I really found surprising to me was as you move into the third act, one of the characters makes the decision that he is actually going to undergo one of these procedures, which by the way, you can only do if you have enough money. So the guy isn't doing this out of the goodness of his heart or because he wants to help people. This is a business for the person doing the healing. When the character makes the decision to undergo this procedure, and trust me, the procedure is presented in a very comic manner, but every male in the audience will be horrified. Oh boy. When that character makes that decision the show immediately took on a darker tone and it took on a creepier tone because you, I think that's for me when it started to hit home that, oh my gosh, even people who should know better, who you think would know better can also fall, fall for a charlatan or place faith because they want something so badly. And as that last, I don't know, 15 minutes of this show plays out, I found myself literally cringing at what was lost and the depths of despair I saw. And the show leaves you with the realization that there's so many more people out there that were affected by this guy than just the characters portrayed in this show. So, like I said, style-wise, this is a mixed bag, but the story they're telling is extremely relevant today because they make the point that there's a lot of people in this country who out of feeling lost or feeling forgotten or feeling helpless will put their faith into the loudest voice in the room. This kind of dovetails back to Manson's Girls. Yeah, actually, there I did see a parallel to that. So... Uh, yeah, I, I it's it's weird. I'm in that position, Mike. We sometimes find ourselves where I don't want to say too much about the shape of this show, 
But I found The Dangerous Cures of Dr. B to be a really interesting piece. Kind of experimental, kind of out there and wacky at times. But, dude, seriously, when that last act starts to unfold, I really realized how hard it was hitting me and how disturbing it was. So if you're interested in disturbing material, if you're interested in experimental theater, give this show a chance. Uh, I would read up about it. And also, you know, to be telling us what drew me to this originally is like you and I both have interest in like sideshow and the freak show. And sometimes those are real. Sometimes it's trickery. That's sort of what led me to this description, even though I, I knew that that wasn't the same thing. And I, I got to admit, I, I, I have thought a lot about certain scenes in this show ever since I saw it. I love when that happens. Yeah, there, there's there's one or two sequences in particular that I thought were so odd and strange that I, I, they've really stuck with me. So it's like, yeah, it's I I uh, I know this is a bit of a mixed review, but I, really, there's there's something here. There's something disturbing to be seen here. Nice. That's always a good thing. <laughs> and uh, after I went and saw that, Mike, I went and saw another show, uh, which, again, we've talked about how this year at Fringe Festival, horror and magic are a little less rec- uh, less, rep- uh, uh, less uh, <laughs> represented. That was the word I'm looking for. Less represented than in a few of the years past. One of the shows that is just flat out telling you, this is horror. We're going for horror don't be mistaken, this is horror. It's a show called Final Preparation. The basic premise of this is you spend time with a man who is preparing a body for a funeral. He's the guy who does the makeup. And this is a short show. It's just 30 minutes long. And it is one guy on stage talking to himself, which is a hard sell. So does it work? Yes, it works through very, very tried and traditional horror methods. You get things, you get the mysterious sounds, you get the lights flickering, you get, you know, him wandering around with a flashlight at some point. So you get a lot of horror cliches, but I saw a preview performance and there were a couple of minor technical glitches, which I'm sure will get worked out. And mainly it's the timing of a telephone call mysterious sounds, mysterious music, things that go bump in the night, things that go bump in the audience. Like all of these things come into play in this show and it's 30 minutes. It's really brief. It, it ramps up really quickly. And at the preview performance, Mike, there were two sequences. One of them got a big gasp from the audience and another sequence actually made one person scream in the audience. Nice. That's not a easy thing to do in such a short story kind of format. And and this is like a short horror story. Um, the, the gentleman that we meet is a bit of a frustrated artist. And through talking to himself, talking to the dead body and a series of phone calls, we learn how as an artist, his frustration has led him to make a couple of interesting decisions. So if you're looking for just like a little tidbit of horror, like a little short little taste of horror, this show might be what you're looking for. And speaking of horror, after that, I met up with you. Thanks, I think. Uh, <laughs> it sounded a lot better in my head. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we did see a show together. Yeah, And I met up with you and we went to see Ghosts. And 
this is a show that you talked about a bit because you had read the book or you read something I'd read the play. The play, um, okay. Ghosts is considered a classic play by the playwright Henrik Ibsen, and he also is known for um, what Hedda Gabler, uh, Doll's House. You know, I'm sure you know all of these titles, Mike, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Going into this, I had certain <laughs> fears. I am not an Ibsen fan, dude. I find him slow, stoic, uh, and I have never seen this play performed. I had to read it, uh, I think, in a college course many, many, many years ago. And uh, so, and, and I kind of refreshed myself on the story before going into this. I will say this. I've never seen Ghosts perform before. Mike, I'm really glad I saw this production because uh, the positives of this production are the cast is very earnest uh it's like the performances are very intense they take a grim tone to this piece don't they definitely yeah and well it's not the feel-good play of the year (laughs) basically everyone in this play just has some depressing tale to tell the design of this show i thought was beautiful uh it's a simple set it's a table with a framework around it and it's in the center of a large room the cast moves in and out of that space in the center of the room that table represents so many things i i I don't know if you interpreted this but i thought it was a really wise choice for them to use the table and i i i don't want to i don't want to say much about the plot in case people are going to go see this but i i i love the fact that that table became so many things it became an altar it became a gravesite it became a place for the family to gather. It became a barrier that divided generations. Like the symbolism of the table and the way they lit the table, I thought was such a good device for this piece. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I it I that didn't like hit me at during the time, but now that you're mentioning that, yeah, like I can I can understand that. Yeah, there's one sequence in particular where near the end of the show where I thought like, oh, like like the the whole Let's say, look, there's some death in this show, okay? <laughs> Let's just get it out there. It is called Ghosts, uh, where, where one character sort of sprawls. And I really took that as, you know, that character admitting that he was heading toward the grave. So it's just like, maybe I'm reading too much symbolism into it. Maybe I'm not. But I thought that was, there was a lot of beautiful images formed by using that table as the anchor for the set. And that, and that literally is the entire set, other than the framework that appears uh, around it. And speaking of the, the framework of the set, they're labeling this as immersive theater. And it's immersive in the way that you are not sitting watching a show, but you can move around freely it, during the show, you can go to a different side of the table or just walk around um, and the actors do come and will walk through you or they'll move you. And that's how it's immersive. There isn't interaction because um, I know a lot of people to, that's one in the same saying something's immersive means that there's going to be choices to give you and stuff. And that is not this. Um, and I just wanted to let people know that. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point to be made. To me, this was not immersive it's like immersive light to me this was theater in the round the only difference other than being in a in a in a theater that was staged to be in the round it's just the fact that we were able to walk around that center area of the room 
And so, and I did that several times just to change my perspective to get closer to a particular character or to move away from a particular character. Um, I don't consider this extremely immersive. I agree with you on that. Uh, and if people go thinking they're going to get interaction, they're going to be very disappointed. Mm -hmm. uh, the show is about 90 minutes long. It is very dark, very grim in tone. I want to compliment the sound design of this production. Yes, definitely. You didn't know the story going in. Did you know anything about it going in? No. Okay. Uh, it's it's dense, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, let's get to that part because going back to the sound design really quick. Yes. One, that's one of the first things I mentioned to you when we were leaving because I'm not a musician, but I love music and instruments and, you know, I play records and stuff sometimes. But seeing someone with, I think it was like a MIDI controller and, and a soundboard and just doing the music live, mm -hmm. just it makes it, it just it tickles my heart, like instead of just pressing play. Yes. You know, so and like seeing him twist the knobs and no, hearing it and knowing that's being done live. It's 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 so great for me. Yeah. The sound design became a character in the play itself. I thought the sound design helped the intensity. There's really heavy stuff that plays out in this show. This is a show that deals with basically the unraveling of a family. And the sound design heightened all of that passion and all of that tragedy for me. And I, I compliment them on that. I am, like I said, if I'm going to see ghosts, I'm glad it was this production. And now going back to what you were saying, because I knew nothing about this going in, um, we we were walking to our cars with, with Sean. Hi, Sean. Um, <laughs> and I, you asked both of us, like, do you, did you understand it? And both of us were like, we have no idea what happened. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, and this, I feel this way about Ibsen. There's a lot of there in Ghosts. There's a lot of talk about family history and the weight that the history carries on the characters in the present. So there's a lot of almost obtuse references to well, you can't do this because it would be morally wrong. And if you don't catch the history that they spouted an hour ago, you don't totally understand the impact of what they're saying. So there's some politics that have to play out. And and specifically, I mentioned there's the father does something in this show that affects a son for the rest of his life. And that was the question I asked you, and you guys didn't quite totally understand. Yeah, that. and when you explained it, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, uh, you want me to get really obtuse on you for a moment? Sure. Can I be acute? <laughs> yes, you can. Uh, some of the themes that play out in Ghosts are some of the exact same themes that play out in Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. What? If you think about it. Huh. Nightmare on Elm Street is a is a almost a morality tale about good mental health because it's the parents. It's what the parents have done in their lives and not set right, not made right. That's why the children on Elm Street are being persecuted and dying because the parents didn't clean up their mess. And that's sort of the same themes that run through this Ibsen play. Ghosts is about the decisions of one generation that are wreaking havoc with the next generation. So there are direct parallels, in my opinion, to Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. That's your opinion. 
Go, come on. You don't see that? I No. Like, not at all. Nightmare on Elm Street is about revenge. And yes, the parents did something to Mr. Kruger. Spoiler alert. It's been... uh, it's been like 40 years like whatever no but because the parents burned freddy freddy's getting revenge on their children for burning him yes but so so technically it's like what you said but it's not like you said but it's it's the fact that the parents did what they did and then suppressed it and hid it and never truly dealt with it even amongst themselves that's that's why the mom is an alcoholic but how are you gonna he's dead how are you but whatever. No, it's about getting right with yourself and dealing with the aftermath of your actions. And so, therefore, and even in Ghosts, there is a line. Uh, I, um, dare, dare I say the line? I think I can say the line without being too much of a spoiler. Actually, one of the characters in Ghosts says, the sins of the father, mm-hmm. you know, are visited upon the children. And that is Nightmare on Elm Street. The sins of the parents are being visited upon the children. That is Nightmare on Elm Street. But Freddy was a diddler. <laughs> they did what they that was right <laughs> but that's the reason their kids are dying is because they they made a very unhealthy bad choice no that was a good choice okay all right but all right fine i i all right i agree with but you see, it's the, a good choice they never came to terms with the choice they made that's what i mean see i don't i don't see that's it. why the mom drinks in nightmare on elm street and that, and she needs to conveniently fall asleep in the third act. So, <laughs> I mean, this could be another conversation for another podcast, but sorry, I, I, wait, yeah, I, so, I'm sorry. This is supposed to be up at the French yeah, podcast. The French I see podcast. what you're saying, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not buying what you're selling. All right. Okay. All right. Fine. Uh, Ghosts, not extremely immersive, very strong production of a classic Ibsen play. I have, I have mixed feelings about this just because I'm not really a big fan of the material, but I'm glad I saw this production of it. That that's a glowing review. <laughs> well, seriously, I'm not a I'm, fan if, of the writer, but I don't I don't like Ibsen. It's a, it's a personal thing. I just think he's I don't like his work. But why would you go to a play of his work? Because uh, all right, this is a difference between you and me. I'm willing to experiment. I heard that. Oh, <laughs> I know. There's an. Immer- <laughs> that's a totally different conversation. Uh, I, I've never seen this produced. I've never seen this on stage. So like, okay, here's my opportunity at Fringe Fest to see what was being listed as an immersive show. And I and like I said, the sound design was great. The production design is wonderful. It's so completely fitting with the tone, the way it's lit, the way they use shadow. And, and uh, it, it's like there's so much about the show that I did enjoy production-wise that that's what I mean. It's like I saw a really good production of Ghosts just because I don't like the play itself doesn't change the fact that I think this is a good production of ghosts. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm willing to go see something because I had never experienced it. I like experiencing things I've never experienced. That's a whole other podcast too. And speaking of things we never experienced, uh, after that show, we went to a basically a recreation of the spook shows from the 30s to what the late 50s early uh, 60s yeah late 50s early 60s i think is when they they finished uh there was a uh there, there's a, a phenomenon in the in the, particularly in the 50s if if i if i'm recalling my history correct the the way that these began is uh after the great depression uh with so many businesses struggling movie theaters realized that they could rent their spaces 
to these little traveling carny style shows. They were quite often, they're called spook shows or ghost shows. And they would come in and these shows could rent a theater after hours and put on a show. They would usually have a hypnotist or they would do a seance or they would have a magician. Uh, they would you know, make the claim that ghouls would appear live in the theater while you're there. Uh, and then usually in the middle of all this, there was uh, like a, a B-level horror movie that was shown. And the beauty of this business plan is you're not using the movie theater's property during normal business hours. So you're not cutting into the profits of the theater owner. And they would make deals about like, you know, who got, you know, so many percentage of the door and so many percentage of the concessions. Uh, And these shows would come in for a weekend, you know, run a few shows on the weekend after hours, sell out every time because they were promising horror and spooky stuff. And, and this became a thing that happened, uh, like I said, through the late 50s and early 60s, I believe is when they actually really disappeared. So we went to a show called Dr. Zamba's Ghost Show of Terror. Can you add some music to that? <laughs> Wait, do it again. But this time when you're editing, add music. Dr. Zamba's Ghost Show of Terror. <laughs> and actually, Mike, I think that kind of sums up the show yeah, right there. Pretty much. <laughs> this thing was so much fun. What did you think, Mike? It it. it I had a smile on my face and the whole time it was cheesy, it was corny, but it was everything that I love about horror. Yeah. Because you have Dr. Zamba and he does his his routine, like he does a a magic act and even though you know it's not to the level of certain other magic acts we've seen, but that's the charm in it. And I think that's, that's, that's what this show is. It's, it's so charming and so fun. You know, it's not, it's not scary. It's, but it's, it's doing cute things with monsters. Yes. Yeah. Cute things with monsters. That's, that's a good way of doing it. And, you know, they have the sexy assistant and there's a little bit of a sci-fi horror vibe involving her character. You know, they have the, the deformed male assistant, sort of like a hunchback character, which has a very funny name, which we won't reveal here. (laughs) So you have to see him. Yeah. It's a sight gag. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Zamas was so much fun. I was so looking forward to this show as soon as I read about it, and it absolutely delivered. The whole cheesiness, the corniness, and yet th- there is an undertone of of malevolence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and because Dr. Zamba tells his backstory, and it's pretty dark, actually. And there's moments of dark humor, certainly. And uh, Well, I mean, there's moments of carnival styled haunted houses yes absolutely and um which was my favorite part oh absolutely it was so cool yeah mine too there 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 is a sequence in the show that is just well you said charming and yeah it's spooky and it's creepy and it is charming and it will absolutely if you're a horror fan this will win you over it's like it's made by someone who loves the old school type of haunts and horror and spooky and Halloween. Yeah. You know what? If you know who William Castle is, William Castle would love this show. No, <laughs> I don't know. You don't know who William Castle is? No, I, I don't know Bill. Sorry. Go on. Here's William another, Castle here's another the... history lesson. Wait, hold on. Let me set it up for you. Uh, yes. And now it's time for another history lesson with Russell. 
Mike, 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 Mike. You actually do know who William Castle is. Uh, you just aren't connecting the name. William Castle is the director in Hollywood who made things like The Tingler with Vincent Price. Oh, okay. Where he guaranteed the monster would break loose in the theater while you were watching the movie. <laughs> and he did actually uh, Joe Dante's film uh, Matinee with John Goodman is sort of inspired by William Castle. Okay. All right, so he he was a showman, and he always had these gimmicks. Uh, the Thirteen Ghosts, uh, you know, he guaranteed that you know ghosts would appear in the theater. Uh, he he was a gimmick guy, kind of like the spooky version of John Waters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so, but but this is that type of show. William Castle would love this kind of thing, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm making all these weird horror horror yeah, references, but <laughs> uh, but yes, if you're if you want corny cheesy charming magic horror sideshow kind of vibe this show's for you and i i'm everything that i'm listing is on the positive side yeah and it's and this is one of the one of the few fringe shows i think where it's family friendly yes there, there's a couple moments that might be a little creepy for very young kids but yeah yeah it's really friendly well I, the, i'm thinking about a particular sequence with the assistant oh, okay yeah. The dancing, yeah. That, that okay. some people may not find that family friendly, but you know it's presented in a sci fi ish sort of way, right? So. Um, but yeah, I I agree with you. It's like yeah, no, you will laugh and you will groan at some of the jokes. Yeah, I'd love to see more of of this type of thing. Oh and, yeah, and even if Doctor Zamba does another show, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then I think that ended our day at like two a.m. in the morning or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fringe. And then we are up bright and early the next morning. And what do you usually drink when you wake up in the morning? Water. All right. Um, well, that's <laughs> you ruined my joke because the show is not called Death and Water. Oh, what's it called, Mike? Death and Coffee. Yes. And you went before me. <laughs> and I think that you should tell some of the um, hashtags you wanted to put on the Instagram post for death and coffee that you were thinking of? I just, I, when we shared on Instagram, I put two great, two great tastes that go great together. Death and coffee. And the best part of waking up is death and coffee in your cup. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. It just writes itself. You're never allowed to post on Instagram again. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, uh, by an artist that we have, uh, talked about her work in the past, uh, Annie Lesser. Uh, she creates shows, uh, quite often immersive, and she's behind Covell, which we have talked about extensively on an earlier podcast. And the ABC Project. The ABC Project. Barbershop, in particular, is, is a show that she uh, created that I was a huge fan of. And Apartment 8. Uh, Apartment 8 is is wonderful. And uh, Death and Coffee is sort of, it's a very short show. Um, I think mine was a, just under 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And... You meet someone and you have a conversation over coffee, or actually, I had tea, but I had hot cocoa. Excellent, Be- vegan hot cocoa. Oh. This was a conversation about family for me. Mm-hmm. Same with me. And uh, I know that we are both told a similar story, and it involves uh, finding where you fit in a family. I think and. Uh, dealing with how that family changes over the course of years and how you change. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, and, and again, um, broken record time, but it stopped being a show for me. And it was just listening to someone vent about their family. Right. You know, it, it, it stopped being a show. And, you know, this is one of those situations where the more you give, the more you get out. And because it, it can get emotional for some people, you know, because there are there are a lot of families that are dysfunctional to a point and mm-hmm. feels people, you know, especially people like us that that go finding for other things like, you know, for metal for you. And, you know, that was a joke because you're not never mind. <laughs> but like, you know, the the misfits and the outcasts, it's like, you know, we find each other because our family disowns us for the most part you know that's the reason i got into skateboarding and punk and you know i found other skaters and punks that and they're they were the black sheep of their family so like i i get it you know and i don't know like do you have any similarities like that like you know because you moved to hollywood from from the deep south and all that stuff or no i i was i was certainly the black sheep of my family i'm you know i'm the creative one who you know flew the nest and and you know i i I work in an industry that i basically have to be here or a couple of other limited places so um you know i always go back to the phrase um you know you have your family your biological family but you also have your chosen family and i i think this particular show death and coffee is a sort of about a realization that you don't always get what you need from your biological family. Um, doesn't mean you can't get what you need because you do have friends and you do have support around you. And, you know, for me, Mike, you know, we've had private conversations about things in our lives. And, you know, for me, chosen family is more so where the comfort comes from because my biological family has other stuff going on Mm -hmm. but you know when you know when i need support you know i turn to my chosen family and i think this particular show i didn't relate to the scenario that was unfolded for me because it's everything from religion to the the structure of the family that we were told about is so radically different than mine but but you can still relate. Oh, I completely can relate. Um, the awkwardness of dealing with uh, the situation that is talked about. Um, I've had to deal that with that in my biological family. So this became to me almost like a confessional where, you know, where she was letting me in on a little portion of her life. And in return, I let her in on a couple of little portions of my life as well. Yeah, same same with me because she does ask you some questions along the way and that's one of the things like if you answer truly and and give a good answer instead of saying like yesterday yes no like it's it's gonna make the show that much better yeah it makes it more of a conversation yeah this is more of a conversation than a show i didn't i didn't feel like i was in a show exactly i felt like i was having just a just to, I, I was grabbing a, a quick conversation over a drink with someone between shows at Fringe. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it felt like. So, and I mean that as a compliment, absolutely, definitely. So, yeah, and that's what's good about Annie's pieces that she writes because we've said this about so many of her shows where 
oh, we forgot we were in a show. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the, the level of skill and creativity that she has. And it's, it's really exciting whenever she announces she has a new show. So I was really excited that I got a chance to see this. Yeah. This is really subtle stuff too. I mean, it really is like the, the meaning, the meaning does not hit you over the head. It just sort of creeps in. It lingers. Yeah. And it, and it does linger. Yeah. And by the way, you're part of the chosen family for me, just to, to let you know, in case you weren't sure. Oh, I thought you were talking about Charles Manson again. <sighs> and after death and coffee, Mike? Hush. Yes. No, I was telling you to hush. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, I want to tell a quick story. Okay. <laughs> so Stories uh, with you are never quick. I, thank you. Uh, yes, I know that. Uh, so I am at work uh, earlier today, actually, and... Uh, I was talking about the Fringe Festival with someone, and I recommended the show Hush to someone. And uh, my office is near two corners. So I'm talking to someone, and I'm about to recommend the show. And I said, so, oh, by the way, the name of the show is, and someone walks around the corner, and I look at a woman, and, I, and, I, and I'm pointing her, I'm pointing at her, and I say, Hush. <laughs> So someone walks around the corner and looks at me pointing my finger at uh, a woman who works elsewhere on the same floor that I do and hears me say, hush. <laughs> so she started laughing like, that was really weird looking. And that's the meanest you've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So so we kind of like, and I said, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm telling her to go see a show called Hush. So that's what's going on. Little awkward work moment. <laughs> But anyway, let's talk about the show Hush, Mike. Yes. Um, this is one of those shows where it's... I, we talked about we didn't really know what to expect with any shows we went to. Because mm-hmm. we didn't look into. This one, I really had no idea what, what, it, what it would be about or what we would walk into. The description just sounded really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and... This turned out to be one of those shows that after I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Me too. I couldn't stop thinking about certain visuals. I couldn't stop thinking about everything I had just seen. And it just kind of festered in my brain. And the the admiration I had for this show just kept growing and growing. And it's it's one of those things where a couple days later, I was still thinking about it. And it hit me. It's like, wow, I really, really love this show. This is one of those shows that just, even as it was unfolding, I, I, there was so much going on in my brain <laughs> because I, I just thought they're, they are, <laughs> they're exploring a lot of subject matter in this show. We should say it's sort of a burlesque show, but it's so much more than that. Uh, it plays with images of, dance of um burlesque cabaret uh there's a circus element to some of it there's a fetish element to some of it there is a strip tease vibe at times but none of it is just that there's so much more going on than that Mike, when we walked in, there is one character in this show that is um, playing with children's toys. And from that image on, this show for me, 
and again, I don't want to be specific about the show, but what it dealt with for me is what we, as a society, as a culture, whatever, expect from women. Hmm. And for me, it was, it started with a young girl playing with toys and they were toys that usually are something you would find girls playing with. And as the images of the show started to unfold, what I was thinking in my, in my overworking brain was they're asking us to question what we expect from women, what we expect women to look like and do what we expect femininity to look like what we expect eroticism to look like because there are times when look parts of the show are are highly erotic and then there are moments where they kind of twist and play with some of that imagery and it becomes i was about to say robotic so even though they're using erotic imagery it isn't presented in an erotic manner so that and that's where i was like oh my gosh like they're they're challenging what we think we think femininity should be. See, I didn't obviously didn't see it the same way as you. What um, what were because, you getting from the show as it was unfolding? Um like I didn't look at it that deeply and to me what it was was putting a spotlight on what normal society con- deems deviant behavior. Ah interesting and because some of the the fetish the fetish stuff in it um some of the 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 bdsm aspects of it um which is by the way absolutely beautifully beautifully presented i wasn't even talking about the rope play you know like there's there's things that people are into that most people you would ask on the street and be like oh that's disgusting that's that's only for deviance you know like well, stuff like that like well some of what you're referring to is women as objects that portion of the show no no just just in general oh okay just in like, general all right I, like the difference i guess you could call them scenes um to me that was just like they're bringing stuff to the forefront that has typically been done in you know and like back corners of houses and no one talks about and you know and like like st- stuff like that and bringing it to a, a, a wider audience so you were thinking more deeply than <laughs> than just the show images itself yes you were admit it no i wasn't thinking <laughs> as deeply as i don't know <laughs> no I, I i i'm kidding with you but yes i i agree it's challenging the images challenge how you're supposed to interpret the images they're presenting. Does that make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I I was utterly fascinated by this show. And there's so much of it that is just, like you said, I for, for days afterwards, I have been thinking of like several images in particular. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for me, it's, it was, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to make a gesture off mic, but, Mm-hmm. Um, that is still sticking with me and still, you know, based on how the lighting hit a certain person and seeing the profile and just almost like she's in a trance and mm-hmm. being so carefree, but how it got to that point, the skill level of how to make sure that's done safely. Yes. And it was just like, just watching kind of like with my mouth Oh, like on my jaw on the floor, yeah. be like, oh my god! Like 
there's so much art in this and there's mm-hmm. so much skill to create such a beautiful image. Yes. But most people would be like, oh, that's disgusting. And there's nothing. I, I don't know if most people would, but I, I know, there certainly would be a factor of that for yeah. a lot of people. And th- that's the thing. Like, there's no nudity. There's no, like, it, there's not, you know, there's not anything bad about it. And it's just one, I think it's one of those things where it's just a stereotype for most people. Yeah, no, I, I, like, they're dealing with themes that I find utterly fascinating. And I, you know, and you were talking about, you know, like images that some people would think deviant. Well, you know, deviant isn't a bad thing. Deviant means not considered the norm. So deviance is not bad. Unless you label it as bad. Which most of society does. Yeah, a lot of society does. Absolutely. Uh, everything that I saw in this show just made me think. Yeah. And and there, there you know, uh, and I also, again, I, I've said this about several shows already. The soundtrack to this show was so completely engaging. Mm-hmm. Going from sort of a new age vibe to raucous dance music to odd sound effects. Uh, like, they're... I keep thinking about the show and the images presented and I, I'm going to stick by, by my interpretation, Mike. Well, I um, hope so. Cause it's yours. <laughs> I truly believe that this is a company and, and, and the company is called Madcap Creative. This is apparently the first show they've created as a company. Uh, I'm in man. Yeah. This, like this was so thought provoking and so beautiful and so just interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned to you afterwards that the show kind of reminded me of the old Jenna Torturer show. Um, oh, interesting. I, I don't okay. know if, if any people really listen to the Jenna Torturers or know who they are, but they their live stage shows were fetish machines. And like there were things that I don't really want to talk about on the <laughs> podcast right now that, that were done. But if you look up like videos on YouTube, it's it's like their shows are kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but this reminded me of that because it was bringing things like that back to the forefront, back to the stage. And seeing that again was, it was, it was just, it was fantastic for me. And being done very elegantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really, really excited to see what else they, they come up with. Yeah, so far this is the one show at Fringe that I am seriously contemplating going back and seeing a second time. Yeah. Highly recommend Hush. Definitely for adults only, just because of the imagery and because of what I think are the issues they're trying to point toward and raise. Mm-hmm. Speaking of fetishes. <laughs> nice transition. <laughs> uh, the next show we went to was called Fresh Meat. And... Let's just say that there. Let's just say that this show is about furries and cannibals. Russell, what's a furry? <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I don't want to get this wrong because I'm sure all of our furry listeners will come down on me hard. Um, <laughs> uh, stop giggling. <laughs> So uh, we're talking about the fetish, the idea of dressing in animal costumes, or uh, I know they don't consider it role play as animals, but uh, yeah, the furry community is, you know, has gotten, you know, has been the butt of many jokes and has gotten some 
news coverage over the past few years because of certain events, conventions, things like that. Um, but this play, there are a couple of characters who consider themselves furry and they do, you know, show up in animal costumes and they present themselves as people who live their lives as those animals. For me, this was the quintessential fringe show. Like this is what <laughs> fringe is about. Like being weird, experimenting and just writing something that you want to write about and making it a show. Yeah, this is a no-holds-barred, go-for-broke, over-the-top, absurd, ridiculous comedy that just... They are not afraid to try anything in this show to get a laugh. And the thing is, it was really, really good with all... Like, after that being said, like, it was good. And it was hilarious. And it was... I mean... You have furries and cannibals. <laughs> what else do you need to say about this? Like, I mean, the and the ba- the basic plot is there's a butcher that cuts up the meat for the cannibals, and one of the rules of the butcher is he can't butcher anyone he knows. And by mistake, one of his friends, someone he knows, ends up on his table, and then that's where things start to get fun. And then uh, everything, his living situation, his relationships, his friendships, all are endangered by the fact that this cardinal rule has been broken and how they try to make it right. And there is a lot kind of in the subtext of this show about what you would do to save a friend, what you would do to protect a friend. And that's really interesting and it doesn't get lost as you know we we've been concentrating on the and trust me this is like a slapstick almost a mugging for the camera style of acting that is on display here but they don't lose sight of the fact that this is actually really about community and friendship and people protecting each other in times of need and in times of danger so as over the top as this gets there is something serious being said here it's about cannibals and furries. <laughs> <laughs> I just love saying that. So, and also, it's just like the, the some of the they have really good humor about both cannibal jokes <laughs> and <laughs> some really good humor about the politics of being a cat and the politics of the relationships cats have with humans. Yes. So, there's some really funny material there as well, and like, a lot of it is visual that we yes. like that. You yeah. would just have to see it to understand. Yeah. The, uh, this is probably the goofiest show I'm going to see at Fringe this year, I bet. And one of the things that was interesting to me is the... Okay, first of all, this was a half-hour show, and I think that was a perfect length. Mm-hmm. It was it was straight and to the point. It didn't drag on in any parts for me. It was just it was just get up, go, and and that's what they did. There are elements of sketch comedy in this, like just little, little things that an example is um, instead of a sound effect, they say what the sound effect is. Good example. Yeah. You know, it reminded me of watching the state or the kids in the hall, like those kind of like goofy, like, you know, that's a really good observation. Yeah. It does have that sort of vibe to it. You're right. And that really does create a really madcap wacky vibe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if if you want something completely ridiculous, this might be the fringe show for you. 
Because it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> furries and cannibals. And we're saying ridiculous in the most endearing way yes, possible. Absolutely. Okay, Mike. We went from cannibals and furries. To drugs and hard liquor. Yes. Uh, we were able to catch the new show from the new Bad Boys of Magic. And if you listened to a few podcasts ago, we had an interview with them. Um, I was so hyped for this show. Um, we talk about Dirty Tricks, their monthly show on the podcast. We like You've gone to just about every one. I've been out of town for a few of them. But they're just so fun. And to know that they had their own show, like a full hour of them performing... I was so happy and so excited to see this. Yeah, I was too, definitely. And last year is where we first saw them, and they had an, uh, their own hour show last year at last year's Fringe. Uh, it's all new material. There was um, one trick that they did um, that was a repeat, but it's basically their signature move. Oh yeah, absolutely. this is this is like their their sweet home Alabama, I guess. <laughs> and it's still blows my mind i know what's gonna happen i know exactly what like they're going to do but still watching it it's like how the hell do they do that yeah it it's it's very impressive uh actually the the they they do set up a story this is uh, you know a show that they are telling a story of them trying to advance their career by getting a gig at the magic castle and that's the purpose of the evening's performance is to impress people. Uh, so there's a story thread through this thing, but the gold here is the the shorter magic scenes. There's a lot of comic banter between the two of them. Uh, you know, the, the, the guys, Dan and Eric, they have very different personas, uh, Dan is sort of straight laced, uh, probably too straight laced for his own good. Eric is just too reckless for his own good. The the vibe that they create of some competitive rivalry amps up the comedic element. But Mike, I I want to point out that like even though this is a comedy show, their magic they do some really clever stuff. They add twists to things you may have seen in the past and they update it for their own show. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes total sense in the story. It makes total sense with their personality and it will make you laugh and be amazed at the same time. Right. And it's, I think the comedy hides the fact they're actually very skilled at what they do. Yes. There's two sequences in particular. Uh, the, they do a bit involving a viral video trend and that whole area is nothing but misdirection. And they actually say, this is all misdirection. So even as they're discussing misdirection, they're misdirecting the audience. And it, it, and it ends up being a really clever bit. Very slick and very stylishly presented. And the other one that I, I've actually seen them perform this routine once before. And uh, Dan begins telling a story. And Eric doesn't like the story he's telling. And I don't want to get into the specifics of that. But during the course of that story, if you're paying attention to the magic that is going on, to the manipulation of objects on stage, there is so much skill on display in that like five to seven minutes that they do. That is so impressive. Like, like that's that's top notch magic skill. 
and they they hide it or they it's, they don't even hide it. It's just like the fact that it's the story makes it all so comedic that it's it just becomes a really pleasant surprise. But I'm I was looking at it thinking how many months of rehearsal did this take yeah (laughs) it's like because that routine is so clever and it's a long routine Mm -hmm. and there's so much going on in the course of that routine it's like i i have such respect for these guys and they're so they have other people try to influence that yeah so which makes the whole thing even like weirder and more amazing that was my my mind blowing yeah yeah so absolutely. So I, I just see, and there, there's other examples like the trick you were talking about. Their signature move. It's like I, I've seen them do that a couple of times live now, and it's just like, you know, we were sitting three feet away from them. Yeah, and we knew what was coming, and, and like it's still damn impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like I, I, it's like granted we both like Magic Mike, but it's like these guys. Wait, are, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we both don't like Magic Mike. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you do and that's fine <laughs> all right <laughs> mike we both enjoy magic acts <laughs> yes <laughs> all right uh, these guys their comedy quite often i don't know i i don't want to say it 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 undercuts the skill but it's just like i i i just love all of what they do because it's so much fun let me get to the point. Let me make this point. <laughs> I'm I'm rambling and not focused at the moment. Uh, when somebody was asking me for fringe recommendations, one of the first things I said was Coke and Mirrors, absolutely. And they said, why? And I said, you know, I said, hey, there's these guys, Dan and Eric, the new Ad Boys of Magic. They're doing this show. It's going to be them. They're really fun. It's like, and they're magicians. And the person said to me, is like, well, I like magic, but... It's like, but okay, but why are you recommending it so highly? And I, and the first thing that came out of my mouth, I said, uh, my, yeah, slow down. Yeah. The first thing that came out of my mouth was they're just so fun. And I think that's the key. Mm-hmm. They're just so much fun. And this is something we, we've spoken about. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but definitely off, off, off line, I guess. Um, off mic? Yeah. <laughs> is they just, you can tell that they love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You can tell that they are huge fans of what they're doing and how much they love the art form. They're doing it because they love it. Yeah. They are and that's what makes the difference. Yeah. There are performers that you see performing go like, they're so passionate about what they do. That's, that's the vibe you get from these guys, I think. So yeah, we, we recommend Coke and Mears. <laughs> <laughs> the show. Yes. <laughs> the show. So, which by the way, I did purchase a Coke while I was there. In honor of the title. What? What? I really need a sound effect for shaking my head. (laughs) So that wrapped up my weekend at Fringe, but you had a couple other shows um, after that. Yeah. uh, I ran down after work the next day and uh, I caught um, a company called School of Night. Uh, I've seen a couple of productions in the past from them, uh, particularly Final Girl, which we talked about here on the podcast. And um, one or two years ago, they did Punch and Judy at the Fringe Festival. And they their productions feature like really stylized, over-the-top stage violence, really fun, creative fight scenes. They're a... I'm going to say they're a rambunctious company to watch. 
that's that's the vibe you get from their shows. Punch and Judy was a very slapstick vaudeville style uh, show with with lots of over the top fight stuff and you know puppets and lots of props being thrown around. And Final Girl was a live version of sort of a slasher picture murder mystery playing out on stage and that they staged that last fall not as part of the fringe festival um so they're a company which i have seen a couple of productions from in the past and really enjoyed this year at fringe they're doing a show called hercules insane now before the show started we got a really passionate introduction to the show from the director he explained that this was a Roman tragedy, uh, a new translation of a Roman tragedy that we were about to see from a playwright called, I believe, if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, it's Lucius Annius Seneca. And in the quick introduction to this show, he explains that this was a very important playwright and a lot of his work has actually influenced later works ranging from Shakespeare to Marlowe to various other writers. And it's just that because of the way history works, sometimes a lot of his shows are not performed anymore. So Hercules Insane, it's an interesting show. I did not find it as rambunctious and fun as some of the past productions I've seen from this company, but it's utterly fascinating because, Mike, this is a mix of all kinds of styles. You get kind of a Greek chorus vibe a couple of times. Uh, Some of the things that they use are dance, narration, uh, mask work, uh, the, the fight choreography that I mentioned before is definitely present. Uh, there's some traditional Indian dance, uh, moves, uh, and some of it's just really, really funny too. The play itself, it started to feel a little bit like a history lesson. Like I was watching something, uh, being done for, for almost like I was watching a college lecture idea of like oh this is important play history so that's why this is being presented again and i think the reason i felt that is i felt in the first half of the show that the narration that the pace of the show was very much all one level even if there was a fight scene going on it was still at the same pace as the narration i felt the narration was delivered in a very flat undramatic style which might have been the appropriate style for this work. I'm not sure. But it didn't emotionally pull me in for the first half of the show. But I will also say this. When they start to deliver the title, because if if you know, the legend of Hercules here is um, that Jove was jealous and, and wanted to destroy Hercules. And so every time she tried to thwart Hercules, he overcame the obstacle and it just increased his fame. And everyone kept singing his praises about how awesome this Hercules dude was when actually all of these tests were being sent to him because they were trying to destroy him. So Hercules goes to the underworld to wrestle with death himself at some point. And when this play gets to the part of the story where Hercules comes back and through a series of curses and insanity uh finds that his house has been taken over when they deliver the title of hercules being insane that's when this show really worked for me because i think that's when the school of night approach with the stylized combat the stylized fight scenes really appropriately timed blood effects i will say all of that really worked for me in the second half of the show but you need the setup of the first half for the second half to really pay off. So this was a bit of a mixed bag for me, but I found it fascinating. I found it interesting. 
But I got to say the second half worked much better than the first half for me. So if you want historical drama, if you want really stylized fight choreography, if you like mythology, it's like, I think this is a worthy endeavor. But I think in the midst of Fringe, when there's so much other stuff going on, I, I hope this finds an audience that appreciates it. Because I think it's going to be a hard sell. It's a Roman tragedy in the middle of all the experimental pieces that we've already talked about. So I, I will say this. The cast gives it its all. And I really did enjoy the show. It's just I found it a very uneven mix. And I thought the the pace of the first half affected the second half for me. But like I said, when it gets rolling and Hercules is insane and working from a place of vengeance and violence i thought that worked really really well and this is a tragedy so when you get to the finale and you find out what really is going on and what really has been done uh in hercules's family and and the the ramifications of his own actions it's tragic and it's sad it's pathetic it's disturbing all of that did land for me it's just a mixed bag overall cool what what else did you see uh, okay, I did a, I saw a rehearsal for a show that is an immersive production. It is, I believe, completely sold out already. Uh, I saw a rehearsal for a show called One Last Thing Before You Go. Yeah, I might see this later in the run, if there's room. I highly recommend this. There's pros and cons to this show, almost all pros. The biggest con, I will get out of the way first, it's too short. <laughs> seems to be a con a lot in your life <laughs> oh. <laughs> so uh one last thing before you go is definitely one of the most immersive pieces it's uh, a one audience member at a time which is why i know it's tickets are very hard to find for it the i i literally can't say much about this because anything would be a spoiler but i will say this i'm very interested in certain things and we share certain interests mike this show covers a topic that you and i are both very interested in once you get in the show i i walked into the show and i immediately just lit up because i was so happy because the subject matter it, it is i will say this deals with grief and deals with loss except the way that you interact with the show is very creative. They create a very beautiful, moving atmosphere. And in 15 minutes, you get a glimpse into one family unit dealing with grief. Okay. And I think, I literally think that is all I want to say about this. Uh, I, they give a lot of rules. Um, I like, you look at the fringe festival website they they do a lot of description in their in their description of the show there are a lot of rules presented when you first walk up and and you know i guess you know the technical term is onboard you uh in the immersive theater world <laughs> the way they onboard you toward the, to the show uh there's a lot of rules going on and the reason for that is because this is a show where you absolutely affect the way the show plays out and you can affect the outcome interesting and that's why the rules are in place because i kept like like i get it i get it and then as soon as i walked into the room i was like oh like now i know why they were so explicit in every detail of the rule giving 
Uh, because, so, so what you're saying is pay attention to the rules. Yes. And pay attention listen. to the rules and pay attention to stuff outside the room before you go into the show. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Cool. Because I, I, let's just say there was a mistake in the show for me. No, that, that, that's incorrect. I gave a wrong answer to something. And uh, I found out later, it was like, oh, I, I missed a clue. Hmm. So, but the cast obviously was ready for that and they dealt with it beautifully and it actually added a very interesting aspect to my show. Uh, Like I said, I found this beautiful. I found it deeply moving all in 15 minutes and I hope this becomes something bigger, longer, more intricate. Like this, this is something kind of special. And that's what she said. Yeah. She said it to me. Sounds like you're living in Unreal City. <laughs> oh, ouch. So, uh, okay, and then I did one more show, Mike. What was it called? Unreal City. <laughs> See, I set you up. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, Unreal City is one of the immersive shows that are listed this year for Fringe. And I can tell you, Mike, this is completely immersive, completely interactive theater. This is probably one of the most ambitious shows I have ever seen at any Fringe Festival ever. Wow. This is, they bit off so much when they tackled this. Uh, Some of it works, some of it does not. I will say that I saw a preview performance and we were told things might be a little rough around the edges. And in my performance, there were some technical glitches. Uh, At one point you were supposed to use headsets. My group got headsets that seemed to only play static for most of the time. And then when we did have a voice in the headphones, it was so echoey that we couldn't understand anything that was being said. Hopefully things like that will get worked out. There was also a timing glitch near the end where we wound up in one space obviously being stalled uh things like that should work out uh this is a very ambitious show with numerous tracks for the audience to be pulled separated taken on sometimes you're by yourself sometimes you're with other people i actually never wound up by myself at any point during the show i was always with another audience member at least one other audience member Story-wise, there's kind of good news and bad news about this show. Uh, Part of the good news is before you do this show, there's sort of an online survey that you take, which is really quirky, really fun. Uh, There's a video that kind of introduces you to sort of this really kind of bold sci-fi story that you are being recruited through a lottery process. You're in the future And you're going to be a resident of Unreal City. And this is a great honor and it protects your future. Unfortunately, much of what was in the online survey never really pays off. Oh. And that was disappointing to me. You were categorized by like thinker, you're categorized as a creative dreamer, and but I never really found that 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 paid off and that was a common theme for me is i kept getting introduced little pieces of information that never seemed to pay off uh you are led around the streets of hollywood during this show if you decide to do this show wear comfortable shoes don't carry a lot with you that is key to you enjoying this show 
at the beginning of the show, we were led down the street and we were given the basic history of Unreal City. We were kind of told the political climate. We were given the rules of the immersive experience. And then, Mike, this show begins with one of the biggest information unloads I have ever experienced in a show. <laughs> and like literally, you're expected to digest history of the city, history of the factions that are represented in the show... Uh, the history of the Rose Queen who now rules the city. Uh, and you meet four characters that you're supposed to choose one to follow. Uh, there was a point, literally, maybe 10 minutes into the show, that we had received so much information. And then it became a moment of, okay, now we're going to go do this. And I swear, nobody moved. And at that point, I was so in my head trying to figure out all the information that I had just been told and I think that's what happened with our audience is we, we were just like, I have no idea what to do. And that's part of the problem with his show. It is so convoluted and so intricate. You don't know what to latch on to. You don't know. There's a mystery that's set up in those first few minutes that for me never paid off. There's a mystery about um, that there's a political movement that you want to keep an eye out for uh, members of that movement. I have no idea how that affected the show. It's There's an interesting concept, which I really, really liked at the beginning, where you you sort of choose what character to follow. And, Mike, I immediately chose the character that was the most unlike myself. And it was a very hard-nosed, very sort of bombastic character, a uh, military vibe about him. The language in this show is incredibly dense and flowery. And the cast tackles it with gusto that's for sure but it's so dense that i found myself literally not understanding what was being said in multiple scenes and that was a problem for me in the show i didn't get a lot of the story like i said my entire time i found myself with another patron uh at one point our actually sean who we mentioned earlier who went with ghosts to us was also in this show he got pulled off for a one-on-one -on -one sequence and then i was led into a different room i wound up other patrons later told me that they kept being asked if they met the queen. I spent a very long time with the queen. And the sequence with the queen, Mike, I have absolutely no clue why I witnessed that sequence. <laughs> I And I was wow. in that room for a very long time. Everyone in that room spoke very slowly. It, there were times when literally the dialogue in this show sounded like gibberish to me. Yikes. I admire the fact that they were trying so many different tracks and they were trying so many different ways and so many different types of scenes. At one point, Mike, uh, they closed a door on us and it became an escape room. What? Like there were four puzzles in the room that we had to solve. We solved three of them. We failed at the last one, which is a really complicated crossword puzzle. Uh, I talked to other patrons who they couldn't solve the puzzle either. Um, so obviously there's multiple tracks. This is incredibly ambitious. I spent a very, very long sequence in with the queen. And at one point, another character walked into that room, Mike, asked us a question to which we had no idea what the question referred to. And she walked out of the room and the room that we were in, Mike, was so hot that literally the, the audience members started taking off layers of clothing. Damn because we were so miserable in that room. And I, I also think that affected the sequence because I was just miserable 
physically miserable. Yeah, and when you get to that point, you just you stop caring. And you I, just you want to get comfortable again. Yeah, I and, and I just wanted out of the room. This character walks in, asks us a question, leaves, and there was an <laughs> I felt so sorry for this guy. There was a guy in our group that had on a hoodie, a scarf, and a knit cap. <laughs> He was miserable. And then like his like, at first he took off the cap, then he took off the scarf. <laughs> and when that woman left the room, we had this moment where all of us looked at each other and went, I have no idea what to do. He made the choice where he walked out of the room and followed that character. The rest of us looked at each other at each other and had a moment of like, wait, we can do that? Like we we could choose to walk like follow another character? Because a couple of times a character had walked in and walked out. Like, we had no idea that that was even an option. And then I started to hear audio from the other room, and I think another scene was starting in the adjacent room. That's when they closed the door and it turned into an escape room. By the way, I'm giving major spoilers, I think. But it's just I can't sell how clunky this show is without revealing some of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not giving specific details about the scenes very deliberately. Um, When we got to the final sequence, uh, there was a technical glitch and we had to stand around for a while. We had reached the point that at one that at that point there was a woman in our group who tried to convince her boyfriend to walk out of the show. It, what do you mean? Like literally, it's like we had headphones on and she was kind of like motioning to him, like "Hey," like head oh, nod. Like head she nod. wanted to go. Oh, she like, she oh, wanted to okay. walk out of the show at that point. Got it. And the boyfriend seemed to not want to do that. The final sequence, Mike. Four characters walked in that I had never seen. And participated in the final sequence. Like four characters who I have no idea why they were there, who they were, nothing. Hmm. Uh, and then we were led out to a certain area. You did have some interaction at the very, very end of the show. And then suddenly with urgency, a character says that we have to leave. There's a moment at the end of the show where we're given sort of a philosophical wrap up. And we're told sort of the point that they want us to leave with. Except none of that came organically. None of it came as our participation in the show. So I I do want to say something positive here. This is truly one of the most ambitious things I have ever seen done at Fringe. It takes guts to throw yourself into a project like this. There are so many tracks. There are so many characters. It is a huge cast. The cast tackles that dialogue. They go for it. And And I really did meet a couple of really interesting characters but they're fleeting because you spend five minutes with one character and then you never see them again that happened multiple times for me and then i wound up in the queen's room for a very very long time where i i literally didn't understand what was happening uh there was a very long sequence that did not make sense to me i don't want to go into what we were doing but we were given a task and each patron had to complete that task And we all stood around and watched each other complete the task. So it was a very odd structure to that sequence. But like I said, I admire the fact that that the the cast was so playful and energetic, and yet they were being undermined by the language and the nonsense of the story. And also I want to compliment, like I saw some really sharp improvisation moments on on the part of the cast. Several of the actors really had a couple of nice... Like, I answered a question incorrectly at one point, and the actor 
was ribbing me about it and brought it back a second time later in the show of like, oh, well, did you learn the lesson? Well, guess what? You know the answer you missed? I'm going to tell you what the... And he gave me the answer. And as soon as he said it, I realized, oh, I see the point he was trying to make. So there's, there was some really good improv going on in the midst of, of this chaos. But at the end of the show, it was I, I left really confused and frustrated. And I walked out and... I said, I was like, I said, I really didn't enjoy that. And then someone else next to me said, oh, really? I had a really good time. And I said, what did you do? And they went, oh, well, I spent most of the time alone with characters. And I met a musician and I heard his song. And I went out and I did this. And they, they named a specific location they went into. And, they were, and so I was like, oh, well, it sounds like you had a more interesting track than I did. So what ended up happening is six of us from the audience spent 45 minutes talking about this show. None of us could figure out the story. Damn. Other than the fact that there was a city and the information dump that I said at the beginning of the show was so convoluted and involved uh, a jump in time. So, So that's how they set up the futuristic part of it. One of the audience members had been given a piece of information about that, but the rest of us didn't get it. I was given a task at one point. I was given an object at one point. I was given, uh, I was asked, I actually volunteered myself as a leader at one point. None of those things paid off. Uh, And I heard that from other, like, oh yeah, well, I, I was given this object and it was never utilized. I was given this object, never utilized. Each one of us had a story of, how something we had witnessed something or been given a piece of information that never paid off. It kept happening. And one of the other characters said, I, I have no idea why I witnessed the scene that I witnessed. Like most of my show was, was standing in an alley witnessing this thing happen. And I have no idea why I watched it. So there's a lot of story problems here. When that group of six was talking, this is the way I broke it down. Two of those people had kind of cool shows and kind of cool scenes, enough that they felt the show was worth seeing. Two of the people thought it was a really ambitious, chaotic oddity. Two of those people were disappointed and felt the show wasn't worth their time. So of the six people, that's a wide range of reactions, right? Oh, yeah. I think the show is a bit of a mess. I think it will run a lot smoother. I know there's people who listen to this podcast who love immersive pieces. And I would say this. If you have the ability and the time and you want to see a wildly, ridiculously ambitious immersive piece, this would be interesting for you. Don't go in expecting a cohesive story. Don't go in looking for stuff that makes a lot of sense. But you will get interactivity. You will get immersion. You will get a really rapid-paced show for most of the evening. But it's not going to make a lot of sense. So if you're if you're a diehard immersive fan and you don't mind spending the money and the time for a huge experiment, that is fascinating. Like I will give it that. This was this was fascinating. It just didn't work for me. It's like if if you want to take that kind of leap of faith and exploration, consider Unreal City. But I think there's better cohesive stories being told in immersive theater around town than this piece offers. Again, 
ambitious. The cast attacked it with with like playfulness and gusto, and they really went for it. But I think the convolution of the structure, I think the the structure in the story undermines the cast's effort. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, this didn't work for me, but I understand why some people would find this really interesting to go through. Right on. You don't have to like them all. Yeah, and, and Fringe is a place for experimentation. And like I said, I, I have to give credit that this is one of the most ambitious experiments I have ever seen at Fringe. I was shocked when I, like, after about 10 minutes, I was shocked at what they were attempting because it's so, so ambitious. And, and, I, and I give them credit for that. But I was left with more confusion than anything else at the conclusion of the, of the show. So that pretty much wraps up our first weekend for Fringe. <laughs> our first weekend at Fringe. Yes, and that was only the preview weekend. Yeah, so we have many more coming over the next few weeks. Oh, we will uh, <laughs> we'll keep you posted as fast as we can. Uh, we are trying to post stuff on Instagram to let people know what we're up to. Uh, if you're around at Fringe Festival and you see us, please say hi. Uh, we've already run into many, many people that we know. And uh, Fringe so far, it looks like it's going to be a very successful year. And I'm looking forward to a lot of the shows coming up. Yeah. And make sure to check out anything that you think sounds interesting and find out all the shows at HollywoodFringe.org um, for if you want to contact us or have any questions or comments about any of the shows we've seen or are going to see, um, email us, uh, Russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's or Mike at myhauntlife.com with one M and one K. I've always wanted to say that dude. Okay. <laughs> or you can leave us a text or voicemail on the hotline 515 haunt LA or find us on the web at myhauntlife.com or all the social media stuffs at myhauntlife. And yeah, we'll probably see you around Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm Mike and I'm Russell. See ya. See ya. Get out. Mm. We're done for now. Does this mean I'm punk? I quit. (laughs) Oh, come on. Sit down.